You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. I'm CJ Wolf, Healthicity's Senior Compliance Executive. And today, we have Jeff Young, Healthicity's Vice President of Product Development. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, CJ. Glad that you're here. Glad to be here. Um, you know, what we traditionally do with uh, some of our guests is we just have them introduce themselves a little bit and tell us a little bit professionally of your career and, and what's gotten you into what you do for a living. Absolutely. And, and just to give you a little background, I've been with Healthicity for about four years now. Uh, prior to that, I... I was with a company that um, I focused on fraud prevention and detection. Spent about 12 years doing that. Maybe just to back up a little bit, my, uh, I've been in the healthcare industry for about 20 years. And my start in that was uh, in managed care. I uh, went on to uh, go on to graduate school in public health where I focus on analytics. And that's what brought me into the area of, uh, of uh, analyzing and, and, uh, and looking at data for uh, questionable behavior. I did that again for about 12 years, and along with that, developed products that focus on detection of, of aberrant patterns or detection of, of fraud, waste, and abuse. And then uh, had the opportunity to come come to uh, AAPC and Healthicity, and, mm-hmm. and that's where uh, I had a nice uh, nice shift in my career where I wasn't so much looking at uh, looking at things from a managed care perspective, but also was able to look at products and and uh, and services from a from a physician and provider perspective, and so. Uh, here at Healthicity, we focus on products or uh, look at how we can help uh, in the business of healthcare for physician practices, health systems, and uh, and hospitals. Exactly, and so and Jeff oversees a team that that helps uh, our products become better. And so, where you are and your team are constantly interacting with probably folks like our listeners who are in the compliance field or in the auditing field, you're trying to find out what do they need in their day to day jobs. Uh, to make their jobs easier. Absolutely, absolutely, and we we reach out to uh, our users, potential uh, potential users, all the time on right. on how we can make their lives easier from a compliance auditing and any any uh, type of, of aspect of their job. Exactly. Yeah. So for those of you listening, you know Jeff is all ears as well as I am. If if you have ideas and thoughts on how to make products better, um, I'd love to hear ideas from our listeners on. You know, I wish my auditing software would do this, or I wish the compliance program that we have set up and the tools we have, we really need something for this. So if you have those kinds of ideas, feel free to, to email them to us or comment on our blog, um, and uh, we'll get Jeff's team right on Absolutely. that. <laughs> and they do great work. So we're, we're really fortunate to have him here today. Um, as you can tell from his brief introduction, he, he has a lot of experience with data mining and, and with technology. And so I wanted to talk to Jeff mainly about some of those ideas and concepts and invite him to kind of expound on, on those areas. And Jeff, maybe to kind of get the ball rolling, um, you know, how can technology assist compliance officers today uh, to help them run their compliance programs more effectively? So I think just to start off with that, CJ, the nice thing with technology is it's designed to help her make her lives easier. Uh, in the past, compliance officers have um, really had uh, not a lot of tools back in the early days. Right. Uh, 
they they would keep uh, a binder up on a shelf that that would include some policies and procedures. Um, but compliance in, uh, historically has been fragmented, and and so there's a lot of disparate, disparate sources on where uh, where you're managing that program. So with the tools that are out there today, from a technology perspective, um, you can start to uh, work with data mm-hmm. and start to gather data consistently, and in in one one location. Um, you can start to look at trends uh, right. that help drive whether or not you need to put a new policy in place or you need to uh, introduce training uh, to your organization or where do you need to 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 uh, where you can identify a risk based on some of the trends that you're seeing uh, in the data that you're collecting. The idea is that you get away from some of this manual work and uh, you utilize technology to help optimize um, help automate right. uh, and optimize what you're doing as a compliance officer. So getting away from the manual, I think it really is. Yeah, that it's really a tool. It's not the program in and of itself. You know, I talk to a lot of people who think, oh, if I buy that compliance software, I've got a compliance program. And, you know, right. you and I know that's not true. It's a tool. And so right. you have to have an educated compliance officer or a compliance professional, but these are tools that can help you do certain aspects of a compliance program. Like you mentioned, you know, maybe it's training and it's tracking the training. Wouldn't it be great if you had a tool or technology that helped you track the training so that you could spend your time as a compliance officer, you know, building relationships or doing more of the, the thought and thinking work in compliance as opposed to the, the tasks that we all know need to get done and need to be recorded and have some sort of audit trail or paper trail, but aren't necessarily the best use of a expert's time. Yeah, so I know that if... Uh, if I was acting as a compliance officer in an organization, my time is finite. Exactly. I, I only am able to get so much done. I'm not going to recall everything I have to do. And so if I have if I have a tool or tools that help me, uh, that prompt me when I need to do either uh, some type of risk assessment or an audit or uh, something that uh, prompts me on, on looking at a, an incident that was reported, that will help me do my job better right. and be more efficient. Um so that, yeah, I think is uh, Absolute, some examples with that. Absolutely, you know, and um, you know, I thought I was using technology when I was a compliance officer, and I was using spreadsheets or email. That's part of technology. <laughs> so I guess that is technology. It's probably rudimentary and maybe very introductory technology. Um, it was better than you know. I also was doing compliance work before we, a lot of businesses used a lot of those tools on a regular day-to-day basis. I think when those first came out, it kind of was a way, but that's, wouldn't you say those are kind of old school tools and that we're now getting into a much more sophisticated and thoughtful use of technology? Yeah, so I think that uh, if you're using spreadsheets and, and other electronic methods for collecting information, that's good. Right. It's a step beyond uh, Paper. just paperwork, right? And get away from the paper trail. Um, but there's there's an opportunity to take that to the next step to your point. Yeah. And and I think that um, the challenge is that there's multiple, in, in some cases, multiple individuals that are involved in a compliance program across the organization. Exactly. If you're collecting certain files, that uh, spreadsheet files, that aren't shareable or not accessible by others. Right. That prevents uh, the ability for you to, to run your program effectively. And how do you know where all those other files are located? So let me give you another use case. Yeah. Um, so we talked about how uh, bringing that all into a particular tool or solution will help you manage it more effectively and, and collect that data. Uh, another example is that um, there are those situations where we may be audited. Exactly. And so from an auditing standpoint, um, you're going to get asked questions of, well, can you show me uh, these certain documents? Can you show me how you're tracking your instance? And if, if it's in disparate 
locations or there's other people that are tracking right. it, it makes it a lot more difficult to to be able to identify or, or find those yeah uh, that that those documents and that evidence that's a great point you bring up you know i was um we were doing a webinar recently and we were talking about kind of what the end goal for a compliance program is, which is you want the government to say, wow, you guys have your your program together so well that you've demonstrated to us that if there was some sort of non-compliance, it may have been a one-off or a bad apple. It's not your culture. And the example that we were using was what we call a declination, where the government says, we're not going to intervene uh, and prosecute you as an organization. We're going to go after that individual but your right. program is in place. And the example that the government used to decline to intervene was um, they were talking about the training program of the compliance program. And, you know, a lot of these enforcement actions happen many years after the actual events occur. And uh, they, the government declined and they said from 2002 to 2008, your compliance program trained this individual 54 times with 16 reminders and they, they sent uh, these other um, documents. They had all of that mm-hmm. there. And you were talking about kind of having that in, in different systems. And, you know, in the paper days, we had them in folders and we thought we were doing good if we could get all of those into a paper folder, which actually sure. isn't bad. But, um, you know, how many of us and how many of you listening, if you were called by an enforcement agency tomorrow, said, demonstrate to us how many times you did training for this one employee on this topic. You know, with technology, if you're tracking things in real time as you're going along, there's a lot less work to reproduce that information after the fact. Correct. Well, and then you and then you start to pick up on on uh, some of the trends that yes. help you and some of the patterns that help you. If you're and, tracking and that data, things. if you're tracking it, and you may have things, these anomalies that come up that then influence where you're going to spend your time and focus on your compliance program. Right. Yeah, you know, one thing that we used to track, for example, were, would be like hotline calls or incidents. Right. And you could maybe once a quarter or maybe twice a year, you could you could analyze that data and see if you could find find trends. For exactly. Example. Exactly. So let, let's talk a little bit more about auditing. Um, okay. So you know, in my opinion, I'm what I'm going to call compliance 1.0, kind of the beginning of compliance, we focused on, let's say, random audits. So let's take a physician practice or a physician group, for example. We may have audited every doctor. We may have done 10 claims um, or 10 encounters randomly for each doctor. Now, that's better than doing nothing, right? We know that. But today, you know, compliance has been around long enough and auditing has been around long enough that there's a more sophisticated way to approach this. And so if we're going to call today's environment compliance 2.0, how could, you know, using data and data analytics help you be smarter than just doing kind of random shotgun audits? Well, so on to your point, random audits are not bad. Right. And and it's better than not doing anything. Exactly. But there's a couple of, a couple of um, opportunities to, uh, to expand that and, and strengthen your program from an auditing perspective. So, one example is um, if you're looking at just 10 random records, how do you know those are representative of what the physician's doing? And how does that really, exactly. um, how does it really help you understand um, uh, where, where you need to focus for that physician? So, for example, um, when, you, when, you look at, when you look at a physician, uh, if you can benchmark that physician's uh, billing data right. against, uh, against his peers, yeah, 
then you can start to see, okay, does he, does he, does he bill like his peers? Right. Um, or does he, does he, uh, does he vary or, or does he, um, uh, does he differ from the way that he's yeah, going? Yeah, kind of stick out. Yeah, is the anomaly from it? And, yeah. and really, the, well, that helps. And this is something that's interesting. And I wanted to, to cite an article on that. Uh, this is an article that was titled Why Physicians' Performances Benefit from, the, from Healthcare Data Analytics. Okay. Uh, this is an article that was written by Joseph Kim. And in, in this article, he starts off by saying that physicians are they're motivated on seeing how they're doing yes. and how they're performing. How can they improve if they're not given the information? Right, so on a on a on a random audit like that, you could give some good feedback on what they're doing in those records. Right, but if I'm a physician, I want to know. Okay, out of a, a, a six month or a year or twelve month time period, right? How am I doing? Right, and should I be doing something differently? Should I be, should I be documenting things differently? Right, uh, is how does my treatment pattern compare to uh, other physicians of my same specialty? Okay. So by taking some of this this uh, benchmarking data uh, that's uh, that's you know, out there, either from comparing my own organization or comparing against peers that are outside my organization, how do I how do I fall uh, within right. those those patterns? And then from a compliance side, uh, you can target training specifically directed at yeah. uh, what's what's identified and what's found. So that's that's. Um, that's well, and we that. know, and we know the OIG is doing that. I was at a conference um, last fall where uh, OIG representative spoke to us and highlighted the data analytics team that they had in place. So they were speaking specifically. Yes, we're still going to respond to hotline calls and you know tips and hot, uh, fraud tips and those sorts of things. Of course, they're going to respond to those, but they also want to be proactive with their resources, and so they highlighted how they were going to use data um, to kind of, and just because somebody's an outlier doesn't mean there's fraud or inappropriate behavior. It just means no. there's an outlier and you want to maybe investigate further and it may be an appropriate outlier, but how, you know, I know you, your team uses data. What kind of um, resources is it? Medicare data, Medicaid, managed care. How do you get the data for the products you develop and uh, compared to what might just be out there for for me to go download publicly? Sure. So there are some some public data sources out there that you can go out and, and, and get. And uh, physician offices, practices, providers uh, have a little bit easier time than than even an organization like ours to obtain data. Okay. So some of the resources out there, the most um, the most readily available, of course, and that's that's uh, available publicly, is the Medicare data. Okay. And so there is Medicare data out there that you can you can uh, you can download uh, and and start to do some comparisons against. The challenge with that is that you may you may have patients in your that in your practice or within your your organization that. Are Medicaid or commercial patients exactly? So if you're only focusing on the Medicare side, you, you may have some skewed results. And so, for example, pediatrics OBGYN data exactly. is not going to be as prevalent, if at all, in the Medicare data. And so, um, so you need to look at other sources. Another source would be MGMA. Okay. Uh, and so, if you're part of that organization, I know that they have data sets available. For us, we we went out and found an organization that that we were able to get uh, get commercial Medicare and Medicaid data. Uh, that we could be able to do some benchmarking with. 
And that's really useful, you know, because as you just said, you know, the Medicare data might be available and it might be free, but there's very few practices out there that are 100% Medicare. Now, maybe if you're, you know, in geriatrics, that might be a decent source, right? It's still, you may need to massage it and tweak it a little bit. But like you said, most most doctors will see a a varied um, payer mix. And so getting that in your data. And, And then once you... Once you have that data, what would a compliance officer do with it? I, I mean, are you, you're, well, when you say benchmarking, you know, talk to me about that. Let's say I'm not a, a data person. Sure. Uh, I get the law and I understand regulations, but tell me, break that down a little bit for me. So one of the areas that um, is a common, uh, a common type of analysis to do is to look at your evaluation of management services. Okay. How, how am I, how are the physicians in my practice or organization billing uh, evaluation management services compared to providers okay. of the same specialty. So one thing you could do is you could go through with that data and you can, you can, you basically aggregate it, right? Uh, for all the, for all the family practice physicians, and I, I recommend doing it by specialty. specialty. Okay. But for all the family practice physicians, for example, um, counting up the number of times that they're using uh, a certain level. Now, okay. With the levels of E&Ms, you want to break it out, right? Sure. So you've got your new patient, your established patient, consultations. Office, inpatient, yeah. outpatient, all that stuff. So you'll look at your, your range and, okay. and, uh, and then you'll, you'll come up with, uh, what is, the, what is the, what is the distribution or in that range, what percentage are 99211, through 99215. And you come up with that with your, your control data or that benchmarking data. Okay. Now you've got, you've got a norm. Okay. Usually, um, usually with with the evaluation management services, you can see a normal distribution, right? Right, and where most of those are going to fall within the nine nine two one three or the right. the the middle range for those visits. Now, I can then take my my organization's data, my family practice providers, do the same thing, aggregate it. I'd recommend doing no more than than twelve months, and looking to see what their distribution is, and then to overlay those two together and compare against it. But it gets to, you know, if I've got a family practice provider that's always billing 99215 in my organization, mm-hmm. to your point earlier, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily right. um, uh, trying to, to purposely get paid for a higher visit, but it, it raises some question. Right. And it, and, it, and it allows me now to then focus in on a particular area. You brought up before the OIG has a right. specific team that is focused on, right. you know, where do we put our time and attention because they only have so much time. Exactly. It's the same thing in an organization that is doing audits. And from a compliance perspective, I only have so many people that I can be able to uh, focus on these physician audits. So where do I spend my time? Yeah. And if I'm looking to see where some of these anomalies come out, physicians, the family practice doc, that's always billing nine and two and five. Right. That's an area I can focus on. And that right. And then you get a human to actually audit the records. Exactly. So rather than doing 10 random charts, you actually say, Oh, that guy, you know, or gals, kind of is an anomaly in the distribution curve doesn't necessarily mean they've done anything wrong but because they're sticking out let's look at those yeah. and let's take 10 99215s because that person has so many of them right right or you know and to be more fair on, on the uh, on the distribution or the, the randomness of that uh, you could take from from an established evaluation management set of uh dates of service find out okay let's let's look at 10 10 E&M yeah. service established patients. I see, gotcha. and, and, and that way you're at least narrowing it down to a particular area yeah. uh, of concern and, and, uh, and making sure that, uh, that you're using your time uh, effectively. Well, and you've told me before that um, 
some of your clients and, and actually everybody out there, you, you may, you know, and this is kind of a benefit of a compliance program. We're trying to prevent um, non-compliance and overcharging and that sort of thing. But when, when you do these sort of activities, you're really trying to help providers do it right. And sometimes not only do you find things that are overcoded, but you find examples of undercoding and you can then capture some revenue that's actually legitimate. I mean, are you finding that when when your clients use these data tools? Absolutely. So I'm I'm glad you brought that up. It's not just the red flags that that jump out that that can help you, but also um, identifying those areas where it's documented, but there hasn't been an opportunity to to bill for them or or, they haven't been billed for. So. Absolutely. It's both ways. Okay. Well, good. Let me kind of shift gears a little bit when we kind of touched on this, but you know, I, I have a lot of colleagues that they're really great compliance officers. They have a lot of experience in kind of interpreting regulations and, and those sorts of things. What would you tell them? They might not be technology, technologically savvy, so to speak. So they might not be good at running queries or doing this or doing that. And, And maybe if they're in a big enough organization, they might actually have somebody on staff. I know that in, as I was a compliance officer, I actually had people with those skills. So I, they would then mine data internally and that sort of thing. And that was very helpful. But let's say you're in a smaller organization and you're not that, that tech geek, so to speak. What advice would you give them when they're looking for tools um, so that they can still kind of be smart in their approach, but don't have to be a, a technology whiz? Yeah, I mean the biggest key is to find find a tool or solution that you're comfortable with. So when you're when you're searching, you're doing the vetting process. Look to find something that that you're comfortable with. Try it out. Most of these solutions mm-hmm. have an opportunity to do a trial. A trial, yeah. That's a good and look point. for something that you know. All of us are different in how we learn. Right. Some of us learn visually and, and pick up on things visually. Some of us like to to look at the actual data, and, and uh, an effective solution will give you both. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Give you either a dashboard of, of a very quick view of here's how I'm, I'm performing and here's how my compliance program is performing mm-hmm. and, and where I need to focus my attention um, visually, but also what is the data that's driving yeah. that. Um, I think the other thing is is to look for something that, uh, again, helps you to be, helps you to focus all of my different areas of compliance into, into an application that can uh, keep it all together. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I'm not having to buy you know, five separate tools or solutions that, exactly. that help me manage my, my, uh, my compliance program. Um, so I, yeah, hopefully that I, gives you a it does. And I like what you said about a dashboard concept. You know, I'm not an auto mechanic, but I use my dashboard in my car for a few basics. And when certain things go off, then I go get an expert, right? So when that little light check engine light comes on, I might not be, an auto mechanic, but that's a dashboard that tells me I either need to get that expertise or, you know, or if my temperature gauge is over a certain level, I know I might need to stop my car. It's overheating. So I have certain dashboards that I look at constantly. And, you know, that might be a smart way to use technology in a compliance program to monitor things from, from a semi high level. And then as needed, you seek out that additional expertise either internally or externally. Absolutely. You shouldn't be afraid of the technology yeah. uh, and know that uh, a good tool out there isn't going to require you to be a, a statistician or right. a, a, data, uh, a data analyst. And so um, the good tools out there, the good solutions are going to provide you the information that you need right. for you to make a decision 
for you to be able to monitor and for you to, to be effective. Uh, so, yeah, and it can help you monitor kind of the overall health and effectiveness of your compliance program. And then yes. I've been involved in, in scenarios where we did need a statistician. Um, they, we didn't need that person full time. Right. And we didn't need them all the time. But we, so what I guess I'm trying to get at is um, for our listeners is that you can use technology kind of to monitor the overall health and effectiveness of your compliance program. Um, and then there are other uses of technology that get much more granular Absolutely. and much more detailed. And you don't, yeah, you don't necessarily have to <laughs> yeah. know all of that. You should understand that they're available. But I think a really good way to demonstrate to either the OIG or, or even your board who's invested money and, and, and resources into your compliance program is to show them kind of the standard metrics um, quarter to quarter. So I used to meet with the board uh, every quarter and one of the things we were reporting on is, okay, how many uh, incidents were started this quarter? How many yeah. have you closed from last quarter? Um, you know, what are the hurdles to get that one nagging incident closed? It's been open these last three quarters. You know, what are the issues around that? So it's kind of, and the board doesn't want that, that drill down detail either. They kind of want that high level. I think that's a smart way just to kind of keep general fitness in your compliance program. Absolutely. And, and that's that's the thing is that um, whatever solution you use should be able to give you that, yeah. that quick view, give you the high-level perspective of what's happening, the trends that are happening. I love your example of incidents. Yeah. Um, how do you control that? How right. Do you, how do you focus in on it? And then, yeah, and then if, if you need to dig down deeper and and uh, and, and get a, a statistician into right. to understand some things deeper, Absolutely. Yeah, because you're comp- you know where to go. Right. And your compliance program, if it's good, is going to eventually uncover mistakes. We all make mistakes. And so let's say you found a billing error that goes back four years you might, and you know you're going to have a significant overpayment. At that point, you can kind of get the right resources to do, you know, the, the statistics and, and what you need to, to do for that. Um, but you don't necessarily need that every day when I'm turning on my computer in the morning and running my compliance program. Correct. So, Jeff, you know, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Do you have any last-minute thoughts or comments, something that I might not have asked you that, that you think, well, why did this dummy not ask me this question? <laughs> no, I think we covered things well. And I think the, the, the biggest thing is that, uh, is that there, there is technology out there, and there's, there's an opportunity to be able to, to make your life as a compliance officer easier. And so take advantage of that and, and find something that works best for you. Great. Thank you, Jeff. And thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Compliance Conversations. Until next time.